The scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. Colossians 2, 13 to 23. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is God's word. Well, we're at this pivot point in the book of Colossians, this letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. And we're at this pivot point where Paul has laid out in chapter 1 the idea that Christ is, he's absolutely supreme. He is enough. He's sufficient. And then we're heading into chapter 2 where Paul says, now as you've received him, so walk in him. Keep living as though he is enough. He is sufficient. He is the supreme one in your life now and forever. Like, don't go to other ways of thinking or other ways of living. And then that's where we're at now where, where he says, uh, you know, the, that begins in the mind, knowing what is true of who God is and what he's done. And knowing what is true of who we are and what has happened to us by grace through what Christ has done for us. Uh, so, so it's in our minds, this, uh, in a sense, the, the argument or philosophies of our mind where we hold true to uh, who God is and what he's done and, and who we are because of Christ. And right at that pivot point where, where we're headed, and now we're going to look uh, into the kind of nuts and bolts of the exact philosophy that's attacking the Colossian church, Right at that pivot point, we have that uh, amazing uh, picture of the gospel of what has happened on the cross. Uh, in verse 13, our trespasses, our sins, they've been forgiven and we've been made alive. Why? Through the canceling of the record of debt that stood against us with a, its legal demands, that, that he 
actually nailed our sins, our trespasses to the cross in Christ. I don't know if you were here with us uh, last week, but man, it was a powerful moment uh, where each of us wrote the different lies we believe uh, in our minds and therefore in our hearts and our lives of, of who we are as, as sinful or broken or not enough. And then we took uh, those reasons for our, our sin and our shame and, and all that kind of stuff that, that, that leads us into death or, or keeps us there. And, and we nailed them to the cross and we wrote on the back of them what is true of us actually in Christ. That we would do what Paul says to do, that we would receive him and then keep walking in him over. And that we would never give up on Christ because he did not give up on us. He gave his life for us. So it was a powerful moment, but then our staff got together this week and we read through these and prayed over many of us in the body. And I just want to read a, a few of them. So this is side one, the lies or the guilt we feel. I feel I don't belong and I'm ashamed it was in my life and in the past when I had multiple relationships and I was not respecting my body to the point that I ended up having abortions. She writes, so what's true? I'm a new creation. Behold, the old is gone. Christ, because of his great love for me, nailed all my sins on the cross. He told me I'm his own I'm cleansed by the blood of his son. Praise God. Praise God. I believe I haven't been a good sister, partner, daughter, comforter. My state of mind will never change because good things aren't for me. No, here's what's true. I am deserving of great things by the blood of Christ. I'm loved. I have great purpose in him. Praise God. I'm ashamed and guilty for nagging my children and my husband and my family. I'm always angry. I'm always projecting it all on my family who loves me. I relate there. I'm his daughter. This is what's true. I'm forgiven. He is very patient with me. I can repent, ask for forgiveness, and he is always with me and in me. Uh, this one just says fake. I'm fake. But on the back, no, no, no. What's true? Daughter, loved, forgiven, made perfect. And they go on and on. Uh, people who have said, and this is who I was outside of Christ in my sin and my shame and my death and my guilt. But now in Christ, this is what's true of me. And as I've received him, so I want to walk in him the rest of my life. He is enough. He is sufficient. That faith that begins and lasts a lifetime. Praise God. I want to pause before we get into our text, the attacks on that truth and the attacks that might uh, pull us away from Christ uh, in our mind, these philosophies. And I want to just pause for a second. It's Mother's Day. And as we kind of read and know uh, the, the power of moms in a kid's life, uh, one of the most powerful things in a kid uh, coming to know and trust Jesus is watching mom and dad at home. 
and seeing how they model their faith and transparency and love of Jesus and, and watch them and, and say, oh man, that's, a, that's a, a bit of who I want in who Christ is. And, and so I just want to say, you know, you might be a mom and you're like, you're investing day in and day out. And, and if you're anything like we feel at home, it's like, man, where's the return for this? All I've got is stinky diapers or they throw food at me, you know? I just want to say this morning, man, you are making an eternal investment in the lives of your kids. You're making an eternal investment in the lives of your kids. Way to go, moms. Way to go. You know, the other piece of, of faith that begins and lasts a lifetime clinging to Christ is this idea of uh, the relationships we have with other believers in the church. And, and so you might not be a mom with a family, but, but you, you can be a mom here in a spiritual way, uh, giving your life and, and mentoring and care for uh, the little kids that are downstairs now. And man, like a hundred someone on first service. And like uh, just pouring your life out that they might know and follow Jesus. They could, they could see you in a modeling relationship and be knit in relationship with you, uh, a faith that would begin and last a lifetime. As you received him, so you know walk in him if you came in between services here and uh you know those flowers weren't just for the dads who forgot it was mother's day you got to make a bouquet uh to say hey we we, we remember and we love you mom but that that's that's a bit from the well saying uh, we value you so much as moms uh, for the investment you're making in the lives of your kids. And then we value our moms in here as spiritual mothers caring for and investing in the faith and life of our kids here as a spiritual family. We're so grateful uh, to be in partnership with the gospel with you. So uh, way to go, moms. Way to go, moms. We're going to step into this now tangly text of the uh, attack on our, 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 not just our kids' minds, but our own minds and lives as we daily wrestle with, is Christ enough? The attack begins in our minds that we would think wrongly about who Jesus is and what he's done. We would think wrongly about ourselves, that something more, something other is needed than Christ. So here's what I'd like us to do. Uh, could you just bow with me? And would you pray and ask God to speak to you in his word and through his words this morning? Maybe you don't want to hear from him. Would you ask that he would speak to you right in your mind, right in your heart today. Maybe there's something distracting in your life. Would you ask that he would remove it or bring his truth to bear on it this morning through his words? Maybe you don't expect he would speak to you through his scriptures this morning. Would you ask that he would surprise you and work in your mind and heart this morning? Father, thank you so much for your words. God, would you illuminate your son this morning in a way that we would cling to him more, go deeper into our relationship with him, trust him more, see who he is and what he's done in a new way that we would live our lives wholly for him. And, and we would refuse every other philosophy that tries to drag us away from him that leads to death and not life. God, please open our minds for your purposes. Open our hearts for your purposes. Shape who we are, what we believe about you, and how we live our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's what we'll do. This is uh, in this middle of this passage where Paul is saying, uh, hold fast to Christ. Live for him. He is worth it. Uh, the attack then comes in the philosophies that come in our mind, how we think of who God is, the way to salvation in life. 
and how we think of who we are and what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. So the attack is taking place, and this attack is happening in the Colossae church, uh, the church of Colossae, and uh, this is kind of some nitty-gritty stuff that they are dealing with in context. It's a very specific kind of Jewish mysticism that's hitting them, this attack, this philosophy. Uh, so what we're going to do, we're going to look at that attack, and then we're going to say, okay, what are some salient features that we can lift out of it and then apply to the different attacks and philosophies that hit us in our lives as we're following Jesus today in 2023? Okay, so we'll look at the attack that is hitting the Colossian church. Then we'll say, what are the salient features and how does that apply to the different attacks that are hitting us today? All right, so we'll just go paragraph through paragraph through the details of the attack that's hitting the church and Colossae first. Uh, paragraph number one in the details of their attack, verses 16 to 19. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Uh, so the first piece of the attack that's saying, hey, uh, Jesus is not sufficient, or uh, you need to add something to him, or you need to actually go a full different way than him. The first part of the attack that they're passing judgment on this brand new church that has decided we're going to cling to Jesus. The first attack is this. Don't let people judge you based on what you eat or drink, the food or the drink, or your festivals and, and new moon or Sabbath. Uh, these are a shadow of things to come. So what is happening here, probably in the strand of uh, Judaism, these people are coming in and saying, hey, you can or cannot eat or drink this. If you do, you're unholy and God is not pleased with you any longer. You have to keep this rule to be loved by God and to be loved by us. They're judging them for this. And then they're also saying, and, and you must keep these festivals or new moon ceremonies or Sabbath rituals, right? Which is kind of a catchphrase, the festivals, new moon, and Sabbath. You see it all through the Old Testament. And it's a summary statement for saying uh, the Jewish faith must keep all these uh, festivals and the Sabbath and, 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 and harvest feasts uh, in order, this group is saying, to be righteous before God and to be loved by us and a part of the community. Uh, they're judging this new group of believers who's now following just Jesus by grace, saying, man, he's forgiven us. And they're saying, no, no, that's not enough. You have to eat or drink a certain way, and you have to keep these festivals a certain way, or you're unpleasing to God and us. Paul responds, no, actually, those are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to God in Christ that actually the Sabbath is to point forward this day of rest to the eternal rest we have in Christ, as we read in Hebrews. Uh, the, the holiness laws of eating and drinking and not eating and drinking are that we would say, man, I am unholy, I need a Savior, and point us forward to the one who does save us, who is holy in Christ. You see what Paul is saying? You, you don't need all these things for salvation. Christ ourselves, the one they point to, is our salvation, is your salvation. Don't be judged. Then in verse 18, he continues, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reasons by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So secondly, Paul says this is probably more of the mysticism strand of the Jewish mysticism that's attacking the church. 
uh, this idea of, you know, don't let anyone uh, disqualify you saying you have to live a certain ascetic lifestyle of, of being uh, 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 apart from your community or not eating or starving yourself in certain ways or fasting or, or you have to take part in this worship of angels in a certain way, in this mystical way, or that they have these amazing visions that, that they know what's true. Maybe this is a prototype of Gnosticism, which is the idea that there's this secret knowledge that only the certain elect have. And, and if, if you had this vision like I had it, then you would know what's true, what might be going on in their circumstance right now. This, this Jewish legalism blended together with this uh, kind of Gnostic uh, beginning saying, man, you need this wisdom. You need this knowledge, this a worship of the angels that we know, these visions that we have in order to be loved by God and loved by others. And again, Paul says, nope. You need to hold fast to Christ who is the head of his church, who holds us all together and knits us together and where we flourish in believing in his sufficiency and in what Christ has done. Don't be judged, don't be disqualified by anyone that is pulling you away from Christ and his teachings of what is true. Uh, this has already happened in the life of the church, even at this early stage of the church in the church of Colossae, which came from the church of Ephesus, which uh, kind of sprung out of the church in Jerusalem. Back in Jerusalem, in chapter 15 of Acts, what we read is that this same kind of thing is already occurring. You've got all these Jewish believers that are now trusting in Christ, and they're wondering, man, what do we do with all of our Jewish customs? And you've got all these Gentile believers, and they, they don't really have any traditions or customs within the Jewish strand. And so the, the Jews in chapter 15 are, of Acts are saying, hey, unless you are circumcised, verse 1, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas, the leaders of this new church, had no small discussion and debate with them. <laughs> That's kind of a biblical way to say they argued with them. <laughs> uh, some of the others were appointed to go up and make a decision on this. So they gather in Jerusalem and they decide, man, what are we to do? Do we need to be circumcised? Do we need to keep the, the Sabbath? Do we need to keep the feast in order for our salvation? Uh, what do we need to do? And they decide, and it's kind of summarized in verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Paul summarizes what he's doing here with the church of Colossian, or Colossae. Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. We don't need to add on or go a different way for our salvation. Don't let others judge you or disqualify you saying that you do. Uh, the next paragraph, verses 20 and following to 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Why do you do this? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul goes on and is talking more about the philosophy that's attacking this early church, pulling them away from Jesus, and he says, it's just human-made regulations of do not touch, do not taste, don't be here, don't do that, don't do these things. These are human-made, man-made regulations. He's in a sense saying, don't you know that Jesus is sufficient? You need, don't need to add these regulations onto him to be saved or loved by God and loved by us. They're human precepts and teachings, self-made religion. 
and they are of no value. He says they cannot get into your mind and your heart to transform you, that you would actually win the battle of flesh that you're taking part in right now. And he's saying they can't do anything to bring about the salvation that you long for, the value that you long for, the identity that you long for. They can't do anything to beat the, uh, the, the effects of sin and destruction in your life. They have no power. These rules can't do anything. He's the only one with power, Paul says. Because when we think rightly about who he is and what he's done, when we realize who we are by his grace, it will transform your life. So don't shed Christ if you're suffering. Don't shed Christ if you're experiencing the most great success. Don't shed Christ by thinking and living according to philosophies that add on or move us away from Jesus. If I were to kind of summarize what I think Paul is saying here is, you know, and I'll, I'll often ask this as a neighbor I get closer and we're talking about their life philosophies and how they're living and I'm, I'm hearing about kind of the struggles in their life as I share the struggles in mine I'll say well, well how is that way of thinking working for you how is that working for you and I, I try the best I can not to say in some, some sort of like haughty way of I know what's right and you don't know what's right but, but I'll just ask as they share kind of the disaster within their marriages or the disaster in their work life or the disaster in their kids life I'll just say how is that way of thinking working for you? It's not there is no purpose, there is no peace, there is no life, there is no deep joy outside of life as we are created to live it in a relationship with the living God. And Paul says, man, everything else, these hollow philosophies that take us away from Jesus or add to who Jesus is, all they do is they take us captive and, and, and lead to an empty way of life. Where in following Jesus, we read words like this through the passage. We are nourished, knit together. We grow and flourish. We're rooted and established. There's deep life in following Jesus. In a sense, the gospel works. The good news about who Jesus is and what he's done works. It transforms our lives. Now let's step back because it's a little kind of nuts and boltsy out of our context. We're not wrestling with Jewish mysticism today. So some of that is like, well, great, you know, but no one's pushing me to keep the Sabbath or no one's saying I have to eat or don't eat this or don't drink or don't drink that. What are some of the salient features that we find repetitiously in philosophies that will pull us away from who Jesus is and what he's done? Uh, the first is this. It's a little surprising. Most often they're well-intentioned. Most often a philosophy that will pull you away from who Jesus is and what he's done and, and life found in him are well-intentioned. Uh, notice in the passage, you, you, hey, hey, keep the Sabbath. You ought to rest, right? <laughs> don't eat those feasts. Don't eat these. Uh, live a distinct life that shows you belong to Jesus now, not to some other. Right? There's different aspects of this that you can kind of picture in the setting that these folks have said, hey, these are really helpful in your life with Christ or, or these are really good and we ought to do them. There's, there's this intention at first to say, man, this is good stuff. But what has happened is uh, what is uh, started off as advice has now become a new gospel. And they're coming in saying, if you don't do this, you're not saved, you're disqualified or they're judging. But I think it's helpful for us to stop and say, you know, the idea of tolerance and love is super helpful. It's super kind. But when it goes awry is when uh, the, the idea of how to love someone, it, it, it does not align with who Jesus is and how he's loved us. 
So I think the first thing we have to do is we do not demonize others that hold different positions than ourselves. And what we'd often do in our lives is we would generalize and ostracize, separate ourselves from anyone who would think differently, and then demonize them or judge them for this way or that way of thinking. But what I think this passage says is first, look, this is a well-intentioned thing at first. is is not to demonize, but to understand, listen to, grow in relationship with, actually move closer to. Because look, our God has nothing to be frightened of. This good news of the gospel, he can defend himself, right? Like if what is true of what we believe in who Christ is is real, then we we can move into relationship with everybody who thinks differently than us. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Who Jesus is and what he's done. We don't demonize. Certainly we would disagree and we would talk cordially and gently with respect through these things. But we don't demonize. We don't ostracize. And... It's also an important thing to say, hey, look, something in your philosophy or my philosophy, it's probably wrong too. I don't have it all put together. I do my best to study the scriptures and know who Jesus is and what he's done, but there are areas where I know I'm wrong. The thing is, I just don't know them yet until I meet others and they help me think rightly and I help them think rightly and we sharpen each other. The first is they're often well-intentioned. That's and the only positive one of the three. Here's the next one. They're legalistic. Philosophies that add to or pull us away from Christ are legalistic. Now notice the inside or outsider language that's used. You're judged or disqualified. Or, or uh, don't let anyone insist on keeping this rule. Do not do this. Do not do that. Do not do that. Uh, if you do, you are out. You are unloved. You're not with us any longer. God doesn't love you. We don't love you. You're gone. The rules turn into a salvific thing of in or out groups, judged, not judged. If you're not anti-racist, you are racist. Silence is violence. Get out of here. If you are not this, you are despicable. If you voted for someone who has a pro-choice platform, you are a murderer. Despicable. You see what we do there? If you don't do this exact same thing as I do or believe or think, then you are out. You are gone. Legalistic. In and out. And the last thing that's salient about these other ideologies or philosophies that pull us away from Christ is uh, really, at the end of the day, it's a question of final authority. Who am I going to trust in to make the final calls in my life? As we read through the passage, we read things like uh, these are human or self-made or, or, or man-made regulations. Uh, and then that is kind of uh, this idea of the wisdom of the world shaping a new or different ideology than Christ that, that promises life but actually leads to death uh, versus what we see in verse uh, 19 and then back up in verse 10 that instead we ought to hold fast to the head, the, the uh, uh, Christ who is over the church and over us who have now trusted in him. And we go back up into verse uh, 10, we realize he is the authority, the one who's of all rule. He's a, he's a benevolent, loving, kind authority. Uh, we give him all of our love, trust, and authority because of who he is and what he's done we see him and we say oh my god i trust you with every piece of my life you are my final authority fox news is not my final authority msn is not my final authority this influencer online who's telling me how to parent or how not to parent they're not my final authority on what is true or what is right Who is your final authority is of question here with a philosophy that draws us away from Christ. 
All right, a couple quick takeaways of these salient features, and then we'll get into uh, a couple of the root issues of the philosophies of today. A few quick takeaways of uh, philosophies that draw us away from Christ, sometimes well-intentioned, but always legalistic, and, and often and always calling us to a different authority other than who Jesus is and what he says is true. Uh, the first is don't be judged. Don't be judged. If you're following Jesus, if, you've know what he, if you know what he's done for you, man, live it. Live it loud. Live it proud. Live it generously. Live it kindly. Live it self-sacrificially. Live it with love and embrace of all kinds of people. Don't be judged. Move towards everyone and enjoy relationship with everyone. And when someone judges for you uh, over what you think of who Jesus is and what he's done or how he's uh, ordered your life as you live under his authority, man, don't be judged by that. We don't have to demean or yell at or condemn another in order not to be judged. We can be kind and gentle and loving while we are not judged. This is my Jesus and this is why I live this way. Man, he's a great savior. So I'm gonna trust him in my finances. I'm gonna trust him in my sexuality. I'm gonna trust him in what I say and don't say, what I watch and what I don't watch. I'm gonna trust him in every area. Why? Because he's my savior. Don't be judged by someone who says, you need to go this way or that way or you're wrong. Don't be judged. Then test what is taught. Test what is taught. Uh, if someone comes uh, to you from within the church or from without of the church and, and it kind of smells a bit wrong of who Jesus is and what you read about him in the scriptures and you know him to be as your savior, well, test. Uh, the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, is this is a great little phrase, what they received from the apostles, they then tested in the scriptures and then they believed. I love it. They, 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 they take to task what is being uh, taught to them and they say, does this line up with what I know is true of Jesus my savior and how he's taught me to live? I test what is taught. And then not only do I test what is taught, I I don't allow myself to be judged as the tolerant or often the most intolerant, but but I share. I share what is true. Let's be people who share what is true. I I love how 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16 say it. Uh, Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Share what is true about who Jesus is, how he's taught us to live, and why we trust him. Holding fast to him. Our our message is the most inclusive, most humbling, and our God doesn't need defending, right? Like, uh, it's the, the most inclusive. He says, come anyone, this race, that ethnicity, that political stance, uh, you murder, you, m- me, uh, uh, every, right, everybody. I was gonna like lay out all my sins before you hear, I decided not to. <laughs> our God says, come one, come all. It's the most humbling too, right? that we can approach all with love and gentleness and respect because we see in the message of the gospel who we are and how wretched we are. So we don't come with a judgmental, mean, evil spirit towards others. We come in humility with self-service and giving our lives away for them as we share what is true. And our God doesn't need defending. Our God can take care of himself. (laughs) When we talk to others in the church or outside of the church about who Jesus is and how he says to live, we, we can just share what we know is true with gentleness and respect and let our Lord take care of the rest. You don't have to force this on anybody. All right, uh, let's go into a little bit of the root 
issues within the different philosophies of the day. It, it, would be, it would be far too complicated to try and take all the different philosophies out uh, in today's world, political or theological or social or uh, uh, educational, whatever. All these different philosophies would be way too nuanced and too hard to look at each one. And what you ought to do, what we ought to do, is, is be in loving relationship with many others within the church and within the world that hold many different philosophies that we can have those nuanced, loving, kind, direct, good conversations. But doing them across a cup of coffee or a dinner table together with those we know and love, sharing what is true of our Jesus, and then them often sharing what they believe is false of our Jesus. But here, uh, what I want to do is look at two of the root causes of the philosophies of today. Uh, lots of different philosophies. They don't all have these two roots, but a lot of commonality in them. All right, so there are two books I found super helpful in this pursuit. Uh, the first is The Secular Creed by Rebecca McLaughlin. We've got a whole bunch of copies in the back. If you'd like one, you can snag one in the back. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin writes a great book. It's very thin. Look at how thin that is. <laughs> What I love about this book is that if you have this banner in your front yard, uh, you'll read parts of this book and say, oh, amen, amen. And then you'll read parts and you say, oh my gosh, right? And then if you don't have this banner in your front yard, you'll read parts of this book and say, amen, amen. And then parts you'll say, oh my gosh, right? Uh, she offends everybody really well. It's wonderful. Right out of the scriptures uh, in allegiance with who Jesus is and what he teaches. And then the second book I found really just absolutely wonderful is Tim Keller's Making Sense of God. Now this one's a little thicker, but uh, especially moms and dads and students and kids and well, all of us really, we need to get smart about what we believe and why we believe it. This is a super accessible book. I'm no philosopher, but he does a great job tackling different philosophies of our age and how to kind of wrestle with them. Uh, so you can snag this in the back uh, as well on your way out. You can purchase either online simply. Uh, I, I share those also to say uh, there is so much to be said that cannot be said when we talk about these two different roots of our current uh, secular philosophies that often either add to Jesus or uh, point to a whole different separate way of salvation other than Jesus. All right, the first root is this. Truth is self-defined. I do or I believe or I think what is true for myself. Uh, all truth is relative. There are no absolutes, right? Uh, well, here's kind of how I would walk through some of those conversations uh, with someone else when talking about that idea that often leads to, I believe this is true and it is true for me. You believe what is true for you and that's just fine. Uh, well, the first kind of uh, problem with this way of thinking is uh, I decide what's true for me. You decide what is true for you. All truth is relative. Nothing is absolute is that itself is obviously a very absolute, uh, not relative statement. It is binding for all philosophies, which is basically to say, if, if you believe what I believe, you're right. If you do not believe what I believe, you are wrong. Uh, because then in this relative way of thinking is, even when uh, somebody says, I believe what is right for me is right for me, and what is right for you is right for you, they don't live that way. They don't believe that. I don't believe that. Nobody believes that because you say, no, this is the best way to live, and you are wrong. That's what often occurs. That's what actually should occur. One person is right. One person is wrong. This is an absolute statement itself, that there are no absolutes. Everything is relative. Uh, because at the crux of this question, this way of thinking is the idea uh, or question that we all face, which is, do I live in an open system or a closed system world? 
is there a God open system or closed system? There is no God. Now that in itself is a leap of faith, but, uh, but really what we're saying, is there a God or is there no God, is am I the final authority on what I think is true or is there a God who is the final authority on what is true or not true? All right, so uh, I would say uh, through looking at the cosmos and the creation from, from, from massive ways to the most micro of ways, I would point to that and say, wow, that, that points to uh, some intelligent sort of designer. I, I would look at morality in people's life, what is both shared and both what is argued, and I'd say, actually, man, it makes way more sense that there would be a God who would bind us to a certain way of morality, and also the shared morality points to a certain God who's knitted into us in our mind and our hearts. I would think, look at beauty and, and what is good and what is not good. And I think, man, there's something in there that tastes of something eternal or greater that uh, orchestrates uh, more than just a material world that, that I don't just think we're a bunch of molecules that die and then are done. So we would look uh, as Christians logically at the world and say, I would actually think a, a leap of faith towards this open system that there is a God and he has authority over my life. And actually I read about him in the scriptures. I see him clearly in who Christ is and what he's done. I would say that answers the questions of my life way more effectively and logically than a closed system that does not. I was uh, sharing with an engineer friend of mine. He was actually, uh, he did uh, a weapons creation and testing. He's, uh, he's this really brainiac guy. Uh, it reminds me actually of a couple uh, scientists in our body who are Jesus followers and they're like super logical, super smart. And, um, and I'm talking with this guy and, and just kind of walk through the good news of the gospel and talk about how, yeah, a relationship with God leads to purpose and life and peace. And we talk about the brokenness of the world. And he says, man, I, yeah, I don't think it should be this way either. And I say, I don't either. What's our solution? We talk through all these things. At the end of the conversation, he says, that answers all the questions, he said all, I don't know if that was true. That answers all the questions I have about life. He literally says that. Then he says, and I just don't believe it. I said, okay. Right, I, I'm willing in the logic of who Jesus is and what he's done and how the world is created to take that step to say there is a God and he's revealed himself in Christ and this is where I find life. And, and he was not, and that's, that's fine. That's his choice and my choice in Christ. Truth is self-defined. I decide what is true. And that's how I talk through that root problem. Uh, the second is this, and I would actually change this from truth is self-directed to freedom is self-directed. I do what is right for me. And, and the more free, the more choices I have to do what I want to do, and as long as what I do doesn't harm you, then I can be free to do them. And I'll be actually, the more free I am, the more joy I experience, and the more uh, life I have, and in more freedom of choice, that's what life is all about. And particularly as Americans, we're like, yes, individualism. I will do as I please, and that will lead to life and joy. And that's a root of a lot of our philosophies that pull us away from Jesus. Now, here's the problem with that. I don't think more choices make us more joyful or more alive. I think actually uh, freedom and joy and life, it's, it's more teleological, it's more tied to the purpose of who we are than a, a, a prolific amount of free choices. Uh, take, for example, a goldfish. If little he or she goldfish decides to live outside of the water, that's not gonna go great. You're gonna die. <laughs> Uh, that extra choice of I'm a fish who wants to live outside of water will not lead to a good thing. 
Or, or you take a screwdriver and a hammer and you say with the, the hammer, I'm going to try and screw screws in. With the screwdriver, I'm going to try and nail uh, nails in. Well, you can do it. You can get the nail in, but it's, it's not its purpose. It's not what it's made for, right? Or, and then if you take a violin and you try and uh, nail nails in with a violin, you're just going to shatter it. The, the joy quotient, the life quotient of that violin goes way down the tubes. It's not more choices that make us more free or, or more full of life or more joyful. It's living within the choices of what we were created for, our purpose. When a, when a screwdriver is used to screw in screws, man, you're like, okay, man, that's, that's enjoying it. <laughs> Hammers, hammer, and nails, all right. Now, take that violin, and, and this is a, an example that Tim Keller uses in his book. I, again, highly re- recommend it. If you decide to constrain your life and use that violin for the purpose of uh, playing the violin, and then you say, actually, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not play soccer. I'm going I'm to get my homework done right when I get home, and I'm going I'm to start practicing for three hours. I'm going to constrain who I am to enjoy the purpose of this violin. You get so good. Then you find yourself in the first chair in the uh, Chicago Philharmonic, and you're playing Gustav Holtz and the Planets, and you hit Jupiter, one of my favorite songs. And you're ripping through that thing, and it's like, wow, amazing. Because you constrained the violin to the purpose the violin was to be used for. Uh, We are created for a life-giving relationship with the living God. That relationship is opened up for us in Christ through what he's done for us, forgiving our sins and drawing us in as sons and daughters. And when we hold fast to that as life and as truth, and we decide to live our lives in submission to this great God, Jesus Christ, Our life gets full of rich purpose and identity and hope and stability because it's what we were made for. Freedom is not self-directed, but we are most free when we live who we are ought to be and who we are made to be in Christ. You know, uh, most most non-believers would say, Something along the lines of, I don't like Christians because they're so judgmental, they're so judgy, they're so, they, man, man, they talk so down to me. And, and I'll say, when we live and love a Jesus like this, it gives us this stability of identity and gentleness and kindness and kind of whimsicalness, self-sacrificial living and humility that, that's, man, it shines who Jesus is and what is true. And then we get into these situations where we can actually talk with folks about who he is and what he's done, and they'll listen. They may agree or disagree, but we can hold fast in our identities in Christ no matter where we are, no matter what we school we go to, uh, no matter what job we have, because we have received and now walk in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I, uh, my daughter and wife just returned from Kenya. Uh, they were there for two weeks with this team of 17. And it was just a joy. And I'm going to let kind of Cammie close up. She was here first ever. She got so embarrassed. Um, I told her I was going to do it. And she said, no! <laughs> I'm going to let her close up uh, with sharing about how our identity is found in Jesus. She got to share at one of the newly planted churches there in Kenya. And uh, it's a really sweet moment. My name is Cammie. And I'm 14 years old. 14 years old. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a Christian home. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a pastor's kid. And I gave my life to Jesus when I turned six. I gave my life to Jesus when I turned six. And I've been 
I've been growing in my faith ever since. Verses stuck out to me. Romans 1 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He doesn't translate it. <laughs> For it is the power of God to everyone who believes. <laughs> he says, Amen. I really like this verse. Because my identity is found in him. I don't have to worry about what others think about me. I can be his light. I can shine for him. Next year I'm going to public high school. And I'm so excited to share his word with others. I'm so proud of her there. Uh, we got kids in homeschool. We got kids in public school. We got kids in private school. Uh, all within our family, we got a lot of kids. And um, it's not about if you're in public school or private school or this or that job. Here's what this is about. My identity is found in Christ, and I want to live for him and share with who he is. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because we have such a great Savior. You know, in John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, he says this, I, Jesus, have come that they would have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. He's our authority. He's the one who leads us. He's the one we follow. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd has given his life for you and for me. He's nailed our sins to the cross. He's made us sons and daughters. He's brought us who are dead to life. Uh, and, and we then trust him as the final authority in our life. We live our lives according to him. Jesus is sufficient. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's merciful. We don't need to add anything to him or go a different way to find life. We need to go further and further into who Jesus is and what he's done. We need to keep clinging to him as we received him so we walk in him. He makes you who you are. Keep clinging to him. Don't go a different way. Uh, this morning, take this cup and this bread as a reminder of who he is and what he's done. If you're not yet trusting in Christ, would you trust in him this morning? He knows who you are. He knows your shortcomings. He's forgiven them. Would you cling to him for salvation in life? And if you are trusting in him, then would you remember he is sufficient, he's enough. Take and eat in celebration this morning. Let's take and eat.